LCU with a bachelor's degree. He's been in Garden Ridge for 10 years. He's married to Deanne, and she is here with him tonight. So y'all need to be sure to meet Deanne. She was brave enough to come with her husband. They have three children, uh, two boys and a girl, and they have a grandson. So good things there. As Mark mentioned, Scott also uh, led their group uh, this last year to the Holy Land. And so he comes tonight to talk to us about courage in the city. Scott, we look forward to you. Thank you, brother. Well, good evening. It is good to be with you. I bring you greetings from the Metroplex. And if you're not a Dodger fan, I'm sorry for you. No. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we have just been at Garden Ridge 10 years, and, and so they did a celebration thing for that. And during the celebration, it was brought up that I was a Dodger fan, and they asked every other Dodger fan to stand, and nobody stood. <laughs> And uh, so that just told me that my work was not done with that church family yet, so, uh, but we'll continue on. So I'm glad to be here. I thank you for the invitation to be here, and uh, we're going to talk about courage for the city. And so if you have one of those sheets, the very first thing it asks you about is to uh, just write down a thing or two uh, on what you would see this church, that God wants this church to accomplish for this city. What kinds of things does He want you as his people, as his kingdom, to be doing in the midst of San Antonio or the uh, places around it where you live, what is he calling you to be and to do? And so I really, I want you to just take a moment and, and think over that question. What does God want you as a church family, you as an individual, you as your own personal family? Uh, it could, this could be answered a lot of different ways, but what is it he wants? from you? Why has he put you where you are among the people that you're among? And why is this church standing on this corner among this neighborhood and this community? What does he want? And so I wrote down a few things myself to prime the pump here just a little bit, but hopefully you've taken just a moment to think over some things. Uh, some of the things I came up with, I would hope that one of your tasks would be to reach the lost with his truth and with his love. Uh, another I put, to find ways to serve in humility and love, to encourage and empower one another, provide accountability so that the faithful remain strong, to fulfill the good works which God has prepared beforehand for us to walk in them to battle strongholds against the kingdom that, that, excuse me, that stand against the kingdom and, to, and that lead people astray, that we would be that people that take the stands that need to be taken for the sake of the kingdom, and to claim the promises and even the territory that God wants us to claim in his name and for the sake of his kingdom for all eternity. So those are just a few of the things I came up with. So here's my next question. What's keeping us from accomplishing these things more completely? What's hindering us from claiming the territory that God wants, reaching more of the lost, standing more firmly against those things that are against the kingdom of God? What's keeping us from that? And my next question would be this. 
what kept the Israelites from claiming the promises that God gave them when he led them out of Egypt and offered them an inheritance and offered them a new beginning, set free from your oppression. You've been given your freedom, and you're going to be given land, and you're going to be given all kinds of blessings, and you're going to be given promises of good health, and you're going to be given promises of prosperity, and you're going to be given promises just beyond the promises if, if you'll just walk faithfully with your Lord. What kept the Israelites from acquiring all those things? Well, I would say the first thing is fear. A problem of fear. Which fits in really well with the topic that I was given this evening, right? Courage for the city. Because fear is what hinders so much of God's work. Lack of faith is another huge issue with this, right? I hear what God says. I know that it's true in my head. If I could just get my heart and the rest of my body to jump him on board with that and really claim it. If I could just get the rest of me to understand what I know in my head is true. But fear, lack of faith, and maybe this is the biggest problem of all. I start focusing on the problems instead of on the promises. I start seeing all the things that could go wrong or are going wrong. I start seeing all those issues, right? Like, um, well, we sent those spies into the land, and everywhere they went, the people were already entrenched. When we went to the Negev, which was the desert, they were there with their cities, their high walls, their fortifications. And when we went to the mountains, they were there. And when we were over by the Jordan, they were there. Everywhere we went, they were already there. And they started focusing on the problems instead of the promises. Oh, it's an amazing land, right? I mean, we had to get two guys to carry a cluster of grapes on a pole to carry and show you what the fruit of the land is like. It's an amazing land, but we'll never take it. Because they're, they're giants, and we look like grasshoppers in their eyes. Their cities are well fortified, and we're just a bunch of slaves. We don't know how to fight siege warfare. We don't know how to do that stuff. We'll never take this land. And so we start focusing on the problems instead of the promises. And, of course, their actions, or maybe I should say their lack of action led to some huge and dire consequences for them and for generations to follow. Let that sink in a minute. Because we're not just talking about what you might experience in the promises that God has to offer and the things he wants you to claim for his kingdom. It's not just you that those consequences are going to affect. It's generations that come after and so there was a generation that couldn't move forward because of the lack of faith, the fear, and the focus on the problems. There was a generation that could not move forward and claim the promises that God had offered them. There was stagnation that took place. 
Have you ever looked at the book of Numbers? I mean, I know it's a dry read in parts of it, but have you ever looked at the census in chapter 1 and compared it to the census in chapter 26? It's kind of, it kind of tells a story all on its own. Because chapter 1 is all the Israelites that are old enough to fight in battle. All the males that are old enough to fight in battle. And you look and they list through the tribes all these numbers and it's dry and it's boring, but they're listing all these numbers. And when you get to the end, they say there was 603,550 men who were ready to fight. And in chapter 26, you get a second census. And it's all the men, the fighting men of Israel. And you scroll down through the numbers, and at the end of it it says, and the number was 601,000, and I forget what the rest is, but stagnation. That second census in chapter 26, that's the generation that is alive after the one that didn't have the faith to go into the land. This is the new generation. They've recounted who the people are, and instead of growing, they've actually shrunk a little bit. You remember who these guys are? These are the guys that Pharaoh looked at them and the way they were breeding, and he said, oh my goodness, if we don't put a stop to this, they're going to outnumber us. They could join with our enemies and overthrow us. They were producing babies so fast that Pharaoh was freaking out. But not, not after the spies said we can't do it. There was just stagnation. And I wonder a lot of times in our churches if maybe that's not the problem. That we're a generation who has listened to all the problems and has focused on the wrong things, and we've allowed fear. We've allowed these rough things, these, this lack of faith to hinder us in what God really wants us to do in our growing when I read in Acts about a church growing from nothing to 3,000 in one day, and then they were adding another 1,000 here and another 2,000 here, and I mean, they were just growing and growing. When I read about that, I can't help but go, Where, where's that in our church today? Why are we, why are we settling for 10 or 20 or even 50 baptisms in a year and thinking, wow, we're doing the Lord's work. And the back door is as big as the front door, and we're just stagnant. The scriptures are telling us stories, and those stories are given to us to help us understand what God is calling us to. And God says, you know what? If you would be a faithful people who would have the courage to stand on my promises, if you would allow the Spirit room to work in your midst, you'd be amazed what you would accomplish. You just read the promises of God, and they're overwhelming. But Satan knows that, that dependence on God it's where those things happen. And we're a nation that celebrates our independence. And that's a problem. That's a serious problem for the kingdom. Because we love independence. And you cannot fulfill the kingdom work unless you're dependent on God and one another. And so God is calling us to an understanding of these things. Now, 
Can, can you imagine how Joshua must have felt when he was to take over and lead the people into the promised land? Right? Let me, let me just show you in Deuteronomy chapter 34, this is the final words about Moses, okay? The, the verses after this are Joshua chapter 1, where Joshua is going to be commissioned as the leader. Listen to these verses about Moses. Since that time, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, for all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, all his servants and all his land, and for all the mighty power and for all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Ooh, that guy's a superhero. This guy was incredible. Now, can you imagine if you're Joshua and your task is... Pick up where Moses left off. You know, that great guy that all they can talk about is how phenomenal, incredible Moses is. And your job is, you take the people into the promised land. You pick up where he left off, and you be the guy that leads them into that. And so, uh, Joshua chapter 1, things don't get any better. If you read through Joshua chapter 1, you will find the name Moses 11 times in Joshua chapter 1. How intimidating would that be if you were Joshua? All these guys can talk about is Moses this and Moses that and Moses with Moses we did this and Moses and, and Joshua. His task is to take on this leadership. It's quite a shadow. But God speaks these words to Joshua. Joshua chapter 1, beginning at verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I've given it to you just as I spoke to Moses. Every place you place a step, everywhere you walk, Joshua, I have given it to you. It's yours. This is the words spoken to him. This is the commission. Go take the land. Go claim what I have already promised your descendants and now you, go do it. It's a gift. It's already yours. All you have to do is go claim it. Walk into the land, follow me, trust me, let me fight for you and with you, and it's already yours. Man and God working together. Now, all this is based on promises given to Abraham given to Isaac, given to Jacob, and given to Moses. This land is yours. Before there were descendants, God had told Abraham, look to the north, south, east, west, everywhere you see, I'm going to give it to your descendants. And so this has been 600 years in the making from the promise to Abraham to Moses leading the people out. It was 600 years. And this promise has been in the making. But it's yours. And then the spies came to it and said, oh, we can't do that. They're too big. Their cities are too well fortified. We couldn't possibly conquer this. But God's telling Joshua, it's yours. 
Go get it. Go claim it. Go take it. Now, it won't happen without challenges. Right, if you keep reading in the book of Joshua, one of the things you find out is that God just happens to bring them to the land during the flood stage. The Jordan is at its banks at the flood stage. And God has this really weird sense of humor, right? He says, I'm going to part the Jordan and you guys go across and we'll demonstrate to them like I was with Moses, Joshua, I'm with you. And we'll get a cross over there, and then I'll bring all the water back. And then what I want you to do is circumcise all your males. Um, God, wouldn't that be better if we did that with the Jordan between us and the enemy? But God gets them across the Jordan River and then says, all right, circumcise all the, incapacitate your army. Because it's about him. It's about his fulfilling the things and us walking with him and trusting in him and believing in his promises enough that we would even cross the Jordan River, put ourselves in harm's way, and say, if that's how you want us to do it, God, then we're, we're going to do it that way. And God offers them the protection through all of that. But without faith, without trusting and obeying his instruction... Look, he's going to provide a way through. He'll part the Jordan River. He'll get you into the land. He's going to provide a way through. The question is, do we have the courage to take the city? Now, I want you to notice the description of the land given in verse 4 of uh, Joshua chapter 1. From the wilderness of this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates... All the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun, will be your territory. Okay, I got bad news. Israel never claimed what is spoken here in Joshua chapter 1, verse 4. All the land he talks about here, all the way to the Euphrates River, Israel never claims that much of the promised land. You know why? Because once they got into the land, once they had houses they didn't build, wells they didn't dig, vineyards they didn't plant, game stations they didn't invent, TVs they didn't have the remote for, once they had all that stuff, they got complacent. They settled. They quit pushing. They quit moving forward. And once, once they had all that, right, all the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Jebusites, Bud Lights, Termites, right, all those guys, right, they had to kick all of them out, and they quit. They quit doing that, and, and they never fulfill what God promised. Every place you place your foot, I've already given it to you. Does that sound like, unfortunately, a lot of what happens in our church? A lot of what we talk ourselves into in our workplace, in our neighborhood, that we fear claiming what it is that God has given us. And so they didn't push on, they got complacent, and it didn't just affect that generation, it affected all the generations that come after it, which is a reoccurring theme in the scriptures. So Joshua chapter 1, verse 5 through 9 
Joshua's going to be told three times in these verses, be strong and courageous. Okay, over and over again, he's going to be told, be strong and courageous. Now, do you remember? Do you remember who Joshua is? You remember his exploits before he's being commissioned as the leader? Right? We meet Joshua several times before we get to the book of Joshua. The first time you meet Joshua, he's leading the army of Israel. The Amalekites had attacked the stragglers at the back as they were marching through the land. And, uh, and so they got this army together, and Joshua's the commander. And Moses and Aaron and Hur are up over this hillside watching the battle. And as long as Moses keeps the staff of, of God in the air, the Israelites are winning. But when Moses' arms get tired and he starts to let it down, well, then the Amalekites start to win. And so Aaron and Hur roll a rock over, and they set Moses down on the rock, and they prop up his arms, and Israel has this amazing victory. But Joshua, Joshua was the guy leading the army in that battle. And that's where we first meet him. Joshua was, he went up on top of Mount Sinai with Moses. When Moses went to get the Ten Commandments, and God had said, don't let anybody come on this mountain, well, Joshua went with Moses up on the mountain. Joshua was there and saw a lot of the things that took place with Moses and God. Be strong and courageous. He's seen amazing things. Joshua was one of the, the spies, right? One of the only two spies that said, are you kidding? We've got God on our side. Of course we can take the land. So why would that guy need to be told Hey, be strong and courageous. Joshua, Joshua, no, be strong and courageous. No, really, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Why would he need to be told that? Well, there's a difference when somebody else is leading and then you become the one that's responsible for things. There's a huge difference. And as Joshua follows into the footsteps of Moses, Joshua is being called by God and reminded by God, hey, it's not by your strength anyway. Be strong and courageous. Remember the promises. Remember, remember the things that I've already said and done. You have my promises. Right? This is one of the, one of the things Joshua is going to be told about things. You have my promises. God already swore this to the people. In verse 6, we're told, Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Which I swore to their fathers to give them. It's already a done deal. I've already spoke it. You know what happens when God speaks? That's where everything begins. With the word of God. And so here's God, and he's, he's commissioning Joshua, and he says, hey, just so you understand, this is like creation, right? I speak, it happens, and it's good, right? And so Joshua, I have sworn, I have already spoken victory for you. So be strong and courageous. Go stand on the foundation of my word. Go recognize the power that's in what I have already spoken you know, it's like when Abraham, you know, and God takes him outside and he goes, hey, Abraham, count the stars if you're able to. That's how many descendants you're going to have, right? At Genesis 15, and Abraham goes, wow, cool. 
And Abraham believed, and God credited it to him as righteousness. Paul loves that verse. He refers to it many times in the New Testament, right? Because it's showing, it's showing this righteousness based on faith instead of works. But here's the cool thing, right? Hey, go out there and count the stars. Wow. You know how those stars got there? God spoke them there. God just spoke Abraham's descendants. And Joshua's living in a time where he can see the fulfillment of that promise. God said Abraham would have descendants as numerous as the stars. And man, we have been just popping out kids. Popping out. Pharaoh was afraid of us. We were, we were so abundant. God keeps his promises. And so here's God, and that's what he's saying to them is, you know what, here's what you have. You have something that's already spoken. Go claim it. Go claim it. Here's the second thing you have. You have a path to success and prosperity. You have a path to success and prosperity. This is what he says in verse 7 and 8. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn to it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. Here's your path. Stand according to what I've already told you. Live by the law. Talk about the law. Meditate on the law. And you'll have prosperity. And you'll have success. Don't turn to the right or the left. Walk down the path. And God's saying, I'm giving you all of that. Right? It's sort of a, you know, at my office, I have this, uh, this letter opener. And um, it's a sword. And wow, it's, it's really intimidating. It's about this big. <laughs> Do you know what? Sometimes it feels like that's the size of the sword that we fight with in the battle against our, the evil one. Sometimes it feels like that's what we're trying to go up against. I've got my letter opener. I'll take you on. And God's going, look, I have given you everything you need for success and prosperity. Learn it. Study it. Meditate on it. Love it. Cherish it. Memorize it. Live it. Teach it. And, and this is what he was telling Joshua. He's calling him to say, look, I've asked you to stay true to these things. Don't get distracted. Don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. Stay right on path. Now, here's what else you have. Here's the third thing you have. You have my presence. You have my presence. In verse 5, he says this. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I've been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. And then in verse 9, he says, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Don't tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You have my presence, he says. And see, this commission where three times he tells them, be strong and courageous, verse 5 through 9, it begins and ends with the same thing. You have my presence. I'm with you. Verse 5, I'm with you. Verse 9, it's kind of like a sandwich, right? And everything else is in between God's presence. 
Everything else is intended to be within God's presence. Right? And, and this is what he's telling Joshua. This is the key to these things. And so, do you understand, this is the very same promise that he gave to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. When, when Moses came to the burning bush and God says, boy, do I have a job for you, Moses. I want you to go back to the most powerful king of the most powerful army in the land at this time. And I want you to go tell him, hey, I'm going to ruin your economy. All right, we're going to take your slave labor and we're going to just go on out of here and go start our own nation. And I want you, Moses, I want you to go back and tell Pharaoh this is how it's going to be because my God said that's how it's going to be. And do you remember Moses' reaction? <laughs> uh, yeah. Who am I, God? Uh, this is a great question, right? Who am I that I could go do this? And do you remember what God's answer is in chapter 3, verse 12? He said, certainly I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it's I who have sent you. Again, I love God's sense of humor. When you're standing here at the mountain with all the Israelites, when you're here, you'll know you were the guy. That's what God tells him in chapter 3, verse 12. When you're here with all the Israelites, when you're worshiping me at this mountain, you'll know you were the right guy for the job. You know why he tells him that? Because it ain't about you, Moses. You're the guy that I picked to go do this, but it's not even about you. It's about my presence, right? You know how Moses even figured this out? There was this bush, and it was burning on fire, and he was like, wow, that's interesting. I mean, it's not like he hadn't seen bushes burn in the 40 years he'd been traipsing through the desert with sheep, right? But this bush was different. It was on fire, but it wasn't being consumed. I got to go check that out. Okay, that's an object lesson. See, this is what God was doing. He was saying, see all those bushes out there? See all those bushes? This one right here is different. It has my presence in it. And that's the very thing he was trying to get across to Moses when he called Moses. He said, it's not about you, Moses. It's about my presence in you. The burning bush is an object lesson. It is God saying, my presence makes the difference. It got you over here. And, and so Moses looks at that and he's like, well, I don't know if I can do this. And God goes, you can do it because my presence is going to be with you. Joshua, you're getting the same message. It's the very same thing that Moses was given. You'll know you're the right guy for the job when the job's finished. So quit telling yourself, quit rationalizing, oh, somebody else could do this better than me. <laughs> Probably not. There's people in your life that nobody else in this room is going to ever have the relationship with them that you have. That you could be that one that comes from God to offer them life. You could be the one that does for this city something nobody else could do, but you just have to trust and believe it's not about me, it's about the presence of my God with me. And this is what Joshua was being told, it's what Moses was told, it's what Abraham was told, it's what everybody that's faithful to God is told. It's not about you anyway. It's about God burning through you. It's about God conquering through you. It's about that victory that comes because his presence is with you. God's telling us the same thing. Jesus' name is Emmanuel. God's with us. 
and, and Matthew begins his gospel with that and ends his gospel with, well, Matthew 28, verse 20, right? And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I'm always with you. You're told the same thing. So we've got to stop rationalizing why we're not growing and why we're not reaching the lost and why if we do grow, it's more out of transfer growth because somebody's upset with the church they came from rather than reaching the people that don't know God, don't know Jesus. That's what he's called us to claim. He's given us everything we need to accomplish it. Do we have the courage? Will we do what he calls us to do? I so appreciate time with you this evening. Can I end with a word of prayer together? Father, we can only do this work through your power. And we're asking you to pour out your spirit in an extra measure upon us. Help us, Father, to allow you to catch us on fire. And for us to become such a, a sight that those that don't know you or don't understand will come and try to figure out what's, what is that presence? What's going on here? That, Father, we will see what you have already staked claim to, and, and we will be the ambassadors for your kingdom that you call us to be. Help us, Father, to have courage. Help us not to give in to fear. Help us not to give in to a lack of faith. Help us to stop focusing on the problems instead of the promises. Father, please guide us and direct us in these things so that for this city, in this generation, we see amazing things happen. We love you. We praise you in the name of Jesus and through the power of your spirit, Father. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you very much, God. I appreciate that. What a way to be encouraged to have courage in the city. Next week, we're looking forward to having Alejandro Escada.